0: Support for the Couples' Council comes from Mercier Wellness and Consulting. Their purpose is to equip you with the right skills for a happy and healthy relationship. Schedule your consultations now. For more information, visit mercierwellness.com. Mercier Wellness and Consulting. Small steps, big changes.
1: This podcast is not a substitute for therapy. Please consult a licensed professional for your mental health needs. Now Now on on with with the the show. show.
0: Hello and welcome to the Couples' Council. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Mercier, licensed clinical social worker and doctor of marriage and family therapy. Hello again and welcome to yet another episode. Thank you to you all who've been, how do I say, buckled in for the long run. And welcome to those of you who are brand new to the podcast. Uh, If this is the first show that you're hearing you're not missing anything but you definitely want to go back and see where we've been what we've done back to season one actually all right find out who this guy is that's on the mic uh why are why is there a picture of his wife on here where is she yeah all those things welcome today's episode is uh i i I say it every every uh every week and i'm not ashamed to say it because that's what we try to do we try to bring you value and quality uh guests and information and today is no exception okay so our guest today is someone whom i connected with again on social media and she and i had a very uh, very interesting conversation um, she works with military couples, military families. And um, over the last few years, I've developed an interest in military families, um, specifically servicemen and women, and just the whole dynamic, um, that, the whole dynamic of being a military spouse. And so I'm talking about none other than Dr. Sarah Williams licensed psychotherapist and walking billboard for career women and boss moms. All right. She's known as the executive therapist. She is devoted to ending the mental health stigma. Through her practice as a licensed and board certified therapist and the creator of her own TV show, Dr. Sarah After Dark. All right. She's reaching millions of households and she also consults for Major TV Network. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce you to Dr. Sarah Williams. Dr. Williams, hello and welcome to the Couples Council podcast.
1: Well, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Yes. No, thank you uh, for saying yes. Um, We were just chatting briefly uh, before recording. Uh, This season, we're targeting and focusing on not only relationships, but relationships in the context of our mental health. Um, And when I came across your profile, um, the thing that jumped out at me was your area of specialty, which is grief um, and loss, as well as trauma. Um, if you wouldn't mind uh, telling us a little bit uh, about your work um, and how you got into that line of
2: work.
1: Oh, absolutely. I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm licensed and board certified in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I own covenant way clinical counseling and I practice, we specialize in treating uh, families and individuals, women, and people of color and help them in their journey as they go through life. I have a specialization in grief, stress, and trauma. I am also the TV host and creator, as well as executive producer of the Dr. Sarah After Dark television show, which is a mental health awareness show. Mm-hmm. I believe that my, my vision be- became uh, a fruition, when I overcame struggles of my own and how difficult it was for me to find the help and support I needed. I'm actually a professor turned therapist. I had already earned a a PhD in education and I went through significant loss, back-to-back losses and trauma. And I had a very difficult time finding a therapist that looked like me that could help me. So I credentialed. And I had passed the exams, uh the the licensure exam and the board exam to practice in in Virginia. And I was able to move forward and open my own practice and then from there the Doctor Sarah after doc show was birthed.
0: Wow. Okay. Just curious, that whole process, um, what how long was that for you? From the time you
1: were looking? Wow. yeah. My, well, my experiences with trauma actually began in my childhood and I could not find anyone that could relate to me, Uh, even as a young adult. And then going to college, I couldn't relate. However, it became more apparent to me in my adulthood uh, in 2012, my mother passed away from cancer and I was uh, grief stricken and I was, I was just hurting tremendously. I knew that I needed help, but I really didn't know how to access the help or who I could go to that could relate to me. Mm -hmm. I was stunned at the number of therapists that I saw that actually ostracized the fact that I had such minimal coping because I already had a PhD, as if somehow having a doctorate degree would insulate me from the human experience of grieving. Wow. Uh, That was a life-changing experience for me. And as I began on my journey to healing, I started becoming more at peace with my mother's loss and the loss of my mother. And then my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And that was only less than a year and a half later. And within six months of his diagnosis, he passed away. Again, I was just taken down into the abyss of how do I pull from this? Because my mother, I reconciled that she was older. She had already seen my children be born. They were about eight or nine years old when she passed away. And I kind of developed some understanding and solace to her that Mm loss. But I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that I was in my forties and I'm now a widow. I could not accept that that was going to be the end of a relationship of my children's father through death. Wow. So I found myself seeking support again. And it was, it was hard. It was hard finding what I felt was someone that could relate to me on an intellectual level. Like I, I'm considered to be a higher functioning client.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: so mm-hmm. I, with with that regard, um, that is why my additional specialty it's working with executives, um, celebrities, professional athletes. So I see folks that are just like me. They have PhDs. They're maybe leading a church. They're pastors. And they have the same challenges as everybody else with the additional burden of also being a mentor and a leader. So I'm really Kind of find my calling through my own pain, and loss.
0: Wow, wow, that's a that's a complaint of many uh, clinicians and therapists um, in general, but also you know some of the more skilled ones because uh, there is the whether you call it the realization or the thought or the experience that it's hard to find someone who will or can. Uh, relate to you on that level or who will even take you on once they see that perhaps you may be a bit more qualified.
1: Right. Right. It's hard. Mm -hmm. I had one therapist actually say to me, well, didn't they teach you in school how to deal with this? Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, we don't all get it right. You know, sometimes we miss, we miss some things as clinicians, unfortunately.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Wow. When, when, um, specifically with your uh, husband passing away, how long had you guys been married at that time?
1: At that time we had been married 15 years.
0: Okay. So this was, uh, major loss yes and he'd been with you through the your mother's um passing as well
1: yes he was just as grief-stricken as i was they were very close
0: wow okay again i'm sorry i'm sorry for your loss um now being able to turn that and that experience from um, your grief and other grief. So you, uh, you work with executives. Do you work with um, couples? I know you said families. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about your work with couples around the loss and the grief.
1: I have couples that seek out my services. Many of them are military couples. Because of my connection with the military, I was Relocated to this to Virginia as a military spouse, so I have a connection to the military community, mm-hmm. and oftentimes couples that are uh, military families they have an additional challenge of deployments and stressors that go along with being a service member and what happens with the family.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: so I do see quite a few couples um. Married, that face all of the typical challenges: um, infidelity, communication barriers, dysfunctional patterns that they brought into the marriage. Um, just a multitude of variables. A lot of times, as we know, the difficulties and the arguments over finances and and other mundane mundane issues are the underpinnings. It's just. Something much greater there's mm-hmm. a greater explanation to why there's a disagreement, yeah. so I do work with uh, quite a few married couples in my practice
0: okay you know the the military family is something I myself have taken an interest in um, over the last few years, and that's just stemming from working with uh, servicemen and women um, and as you said a moment ago, the things that they shoulder um, is for many, for many couples, while they seem like regular couples and family stuff separate from the deployments, we cannot imagine, you know, what these families go through. If you wouldn't mind speaking just a little bit more um, about the struggles of the couples or the marriages in um, these military uh, marriages.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. What I've noticed that's a unique characteristic is oftentimes people that are in the civilian world, they look at the military as a unit. They think military families have all this support. They see, for instance, changes geographically, and they think, well, you just go somewhere else and you connect with other people in that area that are also in the military and you all hang out on weekends and barbecue together and whatever trouble you have, the military's got you covered Mm. and nothing could actually be further from the truth. There's a, there's a deficit in the support structure for families, particularly if the service member has to deploy. So say for instance, you have a married couple They relocate to the area. The wife is with the children. She's home. She's managing the household. He is fulfilling his responsibility to the United States military, and he may have to be deployed. Isolation, loneliness, overwhelm, the triggers from being in a system of not really recognizing that there are variables that are stacked up against you. So you function as a single parent when in fact you are not. And there's no support within the network to address that. Um, The children also endure the stress of that because they see the remaining parents going through more stressors and they have classmates that maybe can't relate to that or even teachers. Mm -hmm. So they bring that back to the household. So now you have behavior issues. So now the remaining spouse is alone. is trying to manage the household and now has child or children that now have behavior issues. So now you have a marital issue.
0: Right. Because that will affect the marriage.
1: Hmm. That's
0: correct. And so in, so, the, in, in the deployments, um, I would imagine at times there's a lot of grief in that and the loss, even though uh, it isn't the loss in the traditional sense, he or she will be coming back. Um, but there is a sense of grief and loss there, I would imagine.
1: Yes. It is a unique characteristic. And it's hard to identify without really being close to the issue because the same individual that had to relocate with a service member that's facing isolation also experiences the grief and loss of identity of career, of a support structure, of having a a meaning or importance in the world. So this person is sacrificing all of their hopes and dreams to support the service member because it's very hard to maintain a career of your own if you're moving every few years Mm -hmm. or if you're tasked with being a solo parent in a marital relationship.
0: Wow. You know, when you mention the loss of career and perhaps even, you know, identity or importance, um, I'm glad you mentioned those specifically because when we often think of grief and loss, um, and even trauma for that matter, we don't associate grief and loss with those things. For most people, grief and loss is attached to the loss of a loved one uh, or an individual, and not so much you know, loss of a home or a geographic location or a uh, or a career,
1: right. It's hard to fulfill any of your own dreams. Um, difficult to maintain an educational pursuit. Sometimes the finances, unfortunately, are a barrier. There's just not enough money for that spouse to pursue those dreams. So they kind of have to be stagnant and in place, but in a place where they have no support, no there's, there's no structure there to give the individual a social support. And we haven't even pictured the possibility that when each of us enter a marriage, We bring our own set of brokenness to the marriage. Mm -hmm. So say for instance, this individual was already struggling with anxiety or depression or some mental health issue in addition to that, and you have to relocate. So whatever you had going on is now magnified, and it's magnified in a new place where nobody knows or understands you. That's
2: what I'm seeing in my practice.
0: Mm. And, and so when encountering these individuals, these couples, these families, where, where do you begin? You know, what is the initial uh, approach to treating this individual or these families? What's that like for you in your practice?
1: The initial <clears throat> the initial part of how we began is we we start with an an assessment that's very thorough. sometimes my assessment assessment may take two or three sessions just to get a full picture of what I'm working with all the challenges um, if both parties can be in the office at the same time that is ideal, mm-hmm. but sometimes I have to work with. <laughs> what I've got. Like for instance, a spouse may be here and another is on a ship and I have to work with what I've got. And we kind of chip away at the the core issue. Because initially the couple may present, well we disagree on parenting and finances and time with friends. Mm-hmm. but really the bigger issue was something else. The bigger issue could have been something else. The bigger issue could have been an affair. Yeah. Or the bigger issue could be there's some level of abuse in the relationship. And it takes a skill set and it takes a, just a slow, um, inspection of the couple and the couple as a unit and as an individual Mm -hmm. too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that takes time
0: yes yeah yeah i'm glad you say that too because you know again as a unit yes it's assumed we come together but even though we often lose sight of the individual in a marriage um it never really goes away you know and it's important to hold on to that, whether military, family, or civilian life.
1: Right. And even when a couple is impacted by the military, it's oddly, <laughs> it's ironic that the majority of them would not choose differently they would not choose not to be in the military.
2: Hmm, really?
1: The wife is supportive of the husband or or the husband is supportive of the wife's active duty status. Even though it's stressful, even though it's just overwhelming, they would not choose differently. Wow. I, I was a military spouse. I had a significant amount of stress placed on me. I had a blended family situation that was very stressful. But I would not choose differently.
0: And so specific- because I No, go ahead, go ahead, continue. I'm sorry.
1: No, I was just gonna say I think that we hold a higher goal in mind, which is a commitment to the United States of America.
0: Okay. And so that I was gonna ask seems to be what sustains or provides some um I don't know, some some solace or some way to cope or some reminder of the much bigger goal? Okay.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's a beautiful example of patriotism, uh, the self-sacrificing. However, I would love to see change. I would love to see that if individuals make that decision to enlist in the military to support our country, that our country would in turn make sure that the couples and the the children particularly have what they need.
0: Mm. I, I, I've i had limited experience with servicemen and women and their families, um, actually nothing like... The amount of experience you've had um, it, I, I, but I, and I say that to say, is there a difference when someone for families or couples who enlist versus say the officers
1: I think the difference with your officers is probably because maybe there's additional education that the individuals maybe have more education they have. Maybe some better coping because they know how to access the resources better. Okay. Mm -hmm. I have now, it's not a couple, it's actually an individual. And it's interesting to watch the process unfold, even as an individual, that um, within a marriage, perhaps if you're an officer, you may have gone through college and you've had a psychology course, at least one or two along the way, versus, say, if you had not been to college at all and you just went through the military, then they do their own training and different programs. But the sensitivity level and the understanding of, say, how to, how to know when I need what I need, <laughs> mm-hmm. how do I know I've gotten to the point that I need to call out for help?
2: right and, and
1: and and general yeah generally your higher functioning client with the education the leadership role the author status it's probably going to know or have a clue as to how to access that
0: right the access piece too right 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 um wow that's interesting because uh you know mental health in the military you know that's that's an issue that's that's everywhere um, and has been for quite some time. Um, but when you niche it down to specifically within the family or the couples and the needs there, uh, my assumption has always been that, of course, you know, the resources are there and the families and the spouse is um, provided for, you know, emotionally mm-hmm. speaking. Um, but I suppose, you know, being provided for and then, as you just said, accessing it are two different things.
1: And who is providing the support? Are they licensed folks like you and I? Or are they individuals that maybe they have that position and they've been placed there and they may not have the training to really look at problems clinically? mm that's a question that I'm not sure we can answer with a favorable response.
0: Yeah, you know, because again, mental health wise, there is such a lack of uh, providers um, and there's such a need. So I'm inclined to agree with you in, in, in that regard. You, you, you mentioned a moment ago in terms of um, specializing in working with people of color. Um, if you can talk a little bit more about that, um, and or just finding the struggles you had in providers who looked like you and resembled you and your experiences, um, that was your experience. But since um, being in or having been the military spouse and our provider, have you seen any change in that, in that aspect? A
1: change in
0: perhaps more providers who, uh, more diversity in providers?
2: Um, more.
1: Yes, I've seen a upsurge of providers of color that have gone are going through the process. They are getting licensed and credentialed and becoming private practice owners at mm. an astounding rate. And I think it's beautiful. I think there cannot be enough of folks that can offer services to families that they don't have to experience the barrier of uh, ethnicity or culture or race or even socioeconomic status. i I did not grow up in a housing project. I was born in a housing project, but we moved out of it when I was a baby, mm-hmm. but I was born in a housing project. Now, my ability to relate is still there because I have siblings that were nine and 10 years old when we moved out of it. Okay. And that in itself, I have the ability to have, say for instance, a client that has a millionaire status at 10 o'clock. And then I'll have a Medicaid client at 11 and I can relate to both. That's awesome. And that's what we need. That's what we need. I am the practice that I am not exclusive for the well-resourced only. That we also accept individuals with limited resources because the need is there. Mental health is mental health. Grief, stress and trauma is what it is. The gravity of the experience and the longevity of it Depends on, yes, your resources and your ability to access help. If the access is not there, then this grief, stress, and trauma drags on, and it it turns out into addiction, violence, death, Mm -hmm. et cetera, incarceration, Mm -hmm. right?
0: absolutely you know i'm glad to hear you say you know people often complain about the cost you know uh, as a barrier to access but i often say there's a therapist at every budget there's like you said it it's there and i've also had the good fortune of being able to service clients on all socioeconomic levels um mm-hmm. and i th- and you know i don't know what's your experience of that or what you feel about it but i feel um uniquely positioned in that regard you know to be able to bounce between uh the different groups
1: yes it's amazing that my comfort level can be such a chameleon <laughs> you know it's just it's amazing to me but at the same time i see similarities because I'm looking at and I'm identifying the problem and looking for ways to assist with the solution and not without regard to well this person is medical doctor and owns a private practice and et cetera. Mm-hmm. And this person this morning was getting food stamps. It right. just that, that doesn't have that much of a weight on how my perception is. And th- the treatment of the problem is what it is. Now, yes, I probably have to do do more case management with a client that has limited resources.
2: Right.
0: That, that part, yes, yes. Right. And, and oftentimes they tend to, those clients tend to be more of a crisis thing and need more motivation and pushing versus, not always, but versus some of your other um, better functioning clients.
1: I think that from my perspective, clients that have limited resources have, have been hurt more by the system and individuals that were put in place that were supposed to help them and they're having a harder time and they give up quicker because they've been hurt so much and disappointed so much.
2: Mm.
0: You, you, you know, I have to agree with you because I do some work with a local school district and you hear that from parents a lot. You know, in many instances, they're not contacted until the kid is about to be sent home on a suspension. And the question is, well, why not contact the parents, you know, two months ago? Um, and so they do become disillusioned by the system, be it an educational system or the, you know, whatever system they may be engaged in.
1: If they find themselves in counseling offices. Say that will accept Medicaid. That maybe the quality is not there. Mm-hmm the clinician is disinterested because maybe he or she is thinking about i'm not getting paid that much to see this person or they go into it already making assumptions that they're not going to commit to the treatment anyway so what's the point right what's the point Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Which, which is unfortunate it's unfortunate but you know it does happen it does happen um I want, to, I want to pivot a little bit and ask you about um, Dr. Sarah After Dark. If you could, you know, tell us about the show and what that's about.
1: Sure. Uh, Dr. Sarah After Dark, as I mentioned earlier, um, is a mental health awareness show. It is designed to bring light to the darkness as a way to end the men- mental health stigma Individuals, they come on my show and they share their stories. Their stories of pain, loss, experience with mental illness, abuse, addiction, and somehow they found their way through it. And what Dr. Sarah After Dark does is it allows the audience to see that process in terms of what the person experienced and where they are now because a lot of times we don't get a chance to see say individuals that we look up to Mm. we don't get to see that that dark part of their life we only see the bright part
2: yeah the highlights we don't
1: know yeah we don't like we see the highlights we don't see behind closed doors this person experience this or went through this or still struggles with depression or was bullied and it feels insecure because of the bullying had a family that was involved in domestic violence. And it's just a a multitude of guests that bring their stories to me. A lot of times these are known individuals and politicians and like I said, political leaders, celebrities, Mm -hmm. different folks, business leaders, uh, community activists, they all come to Dr. Sarah after Dart show to highlight their experience. Um, I'm selective about my guests because I want to make sure that I retain that fidelity and that promise to making sure that it's about increasing awareness and ending this stigma that we have that's killing our communities. If we don't start addressing mental health just like any other di- di- disease or disability, we will all perish. It has to be addressed, and I'm very passionate about it.
0: Well, well it sounds like you're doing great work, and I have to agree. It's something that is um, much needed um, because we do only see uh, the highlights, you know, um, and today's society and social media ensures that you know we only get the highlights and that for some then further uh, increases their struggles with mental health because there's that you know comparison that happens and just drives them deeper and deeper into whatever issues that they've had and brings on all kinds of you know shame and guilt Um, and even in the context of the marriage or relationship you can find couples who will begin to compare their partner or spouse or their entire marriage to someone else's marriage, um,
1: which Mm -hmm. is just a recipe Mm
0: -hmm. for disaster.
1: For instance, with social media, correct? Mm -hmm. We will look at social media and compare our entire life existence to what we see And we know that that's just a snapshot of that person at that moment, at that second, with perfect lighting and perfect hair and perfect Mm -hmm. everything on that day. We don't know what the person was dealing with. We've had very few perspectives on people outside of that perfection. And actually, Dr. Sarah After Dark is kind of turning that mirror around and saying, Let's idolize those that are transparent, mm. because the transparency is where our healing is is located. Oh
0: wow. wow. Mm. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I have to agree with you. And then you know, with telling of the stories, being transparent and vocalizing it, not only does that does wonders for others, but for the individual in the telling of the story as well. Yeah. Wow. Um, wow, that's great. And if we were interested in finding um, Dr. Sarah After Dark, um, as well as your practice, Covenant Way Clinical Counseling, tell us where where you are um, on the web, okay. where we might be able to find you.
1: Okay, um, well, uh, of course, like everybody else, Instagram is uh, Dr. Sarah, and that's Sarah with an H, Dr. Sarah.w. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook, I think, is at I am Dr. Sarah Williams, and hashtag Dr. Sarah after dark, and that's D-R-S-A-R-A-H after dark. If you are interested in seeing the show, it comes on the Now Network on Mondays at 5 p.m. It's now streaming online, even to Raku TV. And that's Mondays at 5 p.m. And that's thenownetwork.org, I think. Um, anyone that's interested in being a guest on my show, and Dr. Sarah loves sp- sponsors and advertisers that are in the mental health field. Mm -hmm. currently the show is reaching 39 million viewers. And Mm -hmm. if you have an interest of maybe uh, submitting an application to be on the show or to advertise or serve as a sponsor, then you can send me an email to I am Dr. Sarah at Gmail. I excuse me. I am Dr. Sarah TV at gmail.com.
0: Okay. And all those things will be in our show notes and the links will be posted. Uh, so that people can always go back to that and in, uh, in case they didn't catch that. Um, Dr. Sarah, it has been uh, a treat. It really has been.
1: Well, thank you so much. i've I'm really excited to be a part of your podcast. I do hope that my visit today was enlightening and perhaps bringing somebody else out of the darkness.
0: Well, isn't it? Considering that that's what you do, I'm sure uh, you've shed a lot of light, at least for me. So thank you. Thank you for (laughs) saying yes. Thank you. Well, ladies and gentlemen, another one is in the books. Be sure to go check her out on her social media. Check out the show. I'm sure you will love it. Reach out to Dr. Sarah. Let her know where you heard her, where you found out about her. And then come back and let me know what you thought of this show. Uh, Be sure to leave it in the comment section. Reach out to me on Instagram, Facebook, the website, the email. You know how to get in touch with me. And as we always say, sharing is caring, guys. Let someone who you know would benefit from this episode, let them know. Send them a text, a DM with this in their their text messages, in their inboxes. We're continuing to grow. We're continuing to spread. Um, I think we've been heard in every state except for maybe three. I won't say who they are, but uh, thank you for spreading the word. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Again, from the bottom of my heart. I will look forward to catching you here for yet another episode of the Couples Council. Bye now.
2: Hey, everybody. Thank you
0: for listening to our mom and dad. If you like them as much as we do, then click subscribe and leave a comment. But now they have to go because it's family time. So go practice what you heard, and we'll catch you on the next episode.